Are you ready to do the big 100? I'm ready to do the big one double zero, mate. Are you hungover this time? Are you sober? I am. I am sober and I'm not hungover. Oh. Although my voice sounds deep because it's very early here. What time is it? It's not that early. It's... <laughs> Don't even tell you. <laughs> what time is it? Is it? It's five to nine. <laughs> <laughs> gentlemen here is a moment i cannot believe has arrived so to take you guys back to 2019 i floated the idea to start a podcast with my ex daz we'll not talk about him but we were both in lockdown at the time and i thought it'd be a fun wee project right i had no idea this was going to turn into such a beast and we would make it to 100 episodes so firstly, thank you very much to all of you out there who have supported us throughout this incredible journey we've been on. Um, as everyone listens to the show knows, Daz dumped me last year for Bowmore, which gave me the chance to upgrade my co-host to Nicholas. Nicholas, great to see you, man. Always a pleasure. Amazing to do the big 100 with you. You know, honestly, man, I, I thought you'd give up on me by episode three, but here we are, we're at 100, and it's still like babysitting a whiskey-obsessed toddler with a microphone. It is. It's exactly what it's like. <laughs> Mate, I'm, I'm, I have to say, obviously, I've been along for part of this journey, but I'm really proud of you for starting this, uh, and I'm even more proud of you for realising that Daz was a dud and you needed to do the upgrade. So, <laughs> joking aside, it's been a blast to be a part of the journey with you. And yeah, like you should be really proud of what you've achieved. But I'm, I'm, I'm delighted to be to be part of this now, and it's it's been a blast. Like it's so, like people, I don't like like I don't want to say like it's a lot of work. It is though. Like the amount of work that you put into this is is incredible. Well, you as well, mate. You as well. You you put a lot of work into it. Well, too. I appreciate that. But like it is, it's you know, there's a there's a lot that goes in behind the scenes that people don't see. They get they get the kind of 35 minutes or 45 minutes of us having a laugh and telling some stories and some jokes. And that part of it is fun. But like the you know, the, the there's it's a lot of hustle to go and get all the guests and to to make sure we're getting good talent. And I think that that's the thing that's really stood out for me over the over the over the entire time, me being a part of the journey, but also like listening back to previous episodes before I was on. Um you know the, the the quality of talent that we get on this podcast is incredible. Like it really is. It's the it's the who I was going to say it's the who's who, but sometimes it's the who's that. It's the who's who of whiskey, and I think like that's the thing that stands out. Like you can, this is a really great way to get insight into some of the most important players and and most influential people in our in, in the entire whiskey industry. No, absolutely, and I, and I love it for that. I mean, I've I've made so many new friends within the whiskey world and, you know, connected with some old ones through this. Yeah. So it's it's been fantastic for that, you know, fr from that point of view. But also as well, and I think you've had this already, you know, it's people just coming up to me and saying, oh, you know, I listen to the podcast all the time because yeah. we do this, right? We We talk into these microphones every week. We produce an episode every week. And sometimes we put it out there and it's, there's not a lot of feedback that comes back, but we actually genuinely love feedback coming back. And I'm going to give an example right now and big shout out to Ewan at Glen Turret. I was there last week in front of, a, you know, I had a, I had a big group there and he came up to me and he said, are you Mitch Beshart? Oh, 
amazing to meet you. Big fan of the podcast. Listen to it all the time. Keep doing it. So stuff like that is so cool when when our listeners actually come up and engage with us as well. And and that's the big thing I appreciate about the show uh, is is doing that. And you know it keeps us up to speed with what's going on in the whiskey world as well, which is always nice. Mate, that's nice that you get people from the industry. I just had my uncle Colin reach out and be like, by the way, I'm listening to a podcast. It's, it's pretty funny. So <laughs> shout out to my uncle. And he, they're out in Ireland. So my uncle Colin and my auntie Melissa, she hates me calling and all that. So I'm specifically calling her auntie Melissa. They're not that much older than than, than I am. So <laughs> it's like, to be, when I was a wee boy, I'd be like, auntie Melissa, she'd be like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> nice, mate, nice. Here's a question for you, right? Just talking about the yeah. podcast. I mean, we're talking about 100 here. We're going to get onto our very special guest in a moment. What's been your favorite episode so far, both to record and to to like listen to, or you know, mixture of both? Oh man, it's, that that's a hard one to choose. I think like the like I said, every one that we've done to with the guests, I think the guests have been fantastic. Like, and I think that's the thing as well. Like, so a thank you to the guests. It's, you know, they a lot of these people are very very busy, and the fact that they still want to carve out their time and give us you know an hour of their day. Is says speaks volumes. So you know, for every every guest that has ever been on, uh, I think is has been uh, uh, driven a, a crazy amount of value. The most fun episode has actually been a recent one with you, me. When we brought Daz back, I had such a laugh doing that. Like it was just funny. Like it was a fun episode to to record. And and what what we actually put out was a small snippet of just some of the some like we could just chat all night. Like we, it was just like well, we, and that's, we had to redact a lot of that as we well. Did. <laughs> <laughs> in order to stop Daz from being cancelled, we had to redact quite a bit. It's like, oh, what a mouth that guy's got on him. No, all joking aside. Uh, <laughs> all joking aside, that was probably one of the most funny episodes because it 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 is the it's the thing and it's the reason we do this. This is this is me getting to hang out with my mate talking about the thing that we love the most, which is whiskey. So, you know, I can't think of anything better than that and being able to do that with with Daz as well. And the history that we've all got, the, the three of us, how far that dates back and the start of our journeys in the booze business, like over 20 years. I think that's part of the fun. And yeah. it just shows, show, like, that's this this industry is a bit of a village. And there can be bad things about that as well, right? But for the best part, it's all positive, you know, um, mostly. And, and I think that that's the thing that we're trying to put the spotlight on, that we do mostly positive things. I'd agree with that on that episode. And, you know, I think the ones that I really enjoyed and take aside all the amazing guests we've had on, we actually record in person. Like you and I in New York recently was really cool. We've done a couple of live episodes, like doing this in front of a live audience. You know, that's kind of what we're born to do, right? We're not born to sit and do what we're doing right now in front of a laptop. To get this out in front of a live audience is... attention starved. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, I don't get any attention from my, my microphone and my, my screen, you know, but no, it's like, it's, you know, as ambassadors, that's what we love doing. And those live episodes is something that hopefully we can do a lot more of next year, which is a nice little segue to talk about season three, mate, as you know, as we're progressing through the year here, we're almost done with season two. We're about a couple of months away, maybe 10 episodes away from finishing this. So yep. yeah, I mean, season three, we've got some big ideas, right? Should we let everyone? No, we won't tell anyone yet, but because <laughs> we're still planning them, <laughs> but we've got some cool ideas of what we want to do. One of the ones that, that we can let you guys in on, and I think I really like this idea is we're going to do a CEO focus. So we're going to get CEOs of, of, of big drinks companies 
uh, get them on the show and talk to talk to us about some of the more nitty gritty stuff, hopefully that they can spill the beans on when it comes to running a, a big drinks company. I think that'd be fun. We've got a few, a few in mind, don't we, Nicholas? We do indeed. We do indeed. So looking forward to that, mate. But uh, before we get on to our special guest, thought it would be very cool for us to hear some of the Not Another Whiskey podcast stats with all the listeners out there. So mm-hmm. since its inception in 2020, our wee show has over 60,000 listens, which is incredible. Uh, that's the same as doing a whiskey tasting at a packed out Murrayfield Stadium. <laughs> that's pretty cool that's, I like that, that, that is cool it's, it's probably really cool for most people that are listening in the uk right now because everyone else around the world is probably like where the fuck is murrayfield but yeah which, 60 which, people which, 60 which, by the people, way that's that, that might be that might be something for season three that we actually try and do uh, uh, uh the biggest in-person whiskey tasting at murrayfield hosted by <laughs> not another whiskey podcast so We'll put that out there and see if it comes back. <laughs> uh, we are listened to in 90 countries worldwide, including Nepal. So shout out to all our Nepalese listeners out there. Our top country for listeners, no shock here, is the UK with London, Glasgow, then Edinburgh being our top three cities. But this one cracked me up. This is so the USA is our number two country of listeners right now. But guess where they're listening from? Number one area, Council Bluffs, Iowa. So it begs the question to all our listeners in Council Bluffs, what, what the fuck are you tuning in the show for? What, what is going on in Council Bluffs? Or even yet, what is not going on in Council Bluffs, Iowa, that is making uh, Not Another Whiskey Podcast your go-to? So it's incredible. Have you? Dude, when I looked at these stats, I'm like, that's unbelievable. Because it, goes, it literally goes Council Bluffs, and then it goes New York, Brooklyn. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's... But, mate, that's that's I don't know if you've ever seen those t-shirts with like London, Paris, New York, Council Bluffs, Iowa. Like oh, yeah. We should we should start. That should be our merch, mate. So listen, we want to hear from you in Council Bluffs. Write in, tell us. Uh, is there like some kind of big whiskey society there that we don't know about? Um, you know, what do you got? Why are you guys so so obsessed with us? We we love it, don't get us wrong. And uh, yeah, we, we might have to do a live show out there, mate, next time we're That's over. That's exactly it. Like we want to, whoever it is, like whoever's listening to us out in that area, please reach out to us on social media and not, not another whiskey podcast and, and hit us up. We want to, we want to hear from you. We want to connect. And then the third largest country for listeners, Mitch, is Australia. So no shock there, actually, because we've, we've had a couple of Australian guests on <laughs> and a couple of Australian whiskey makers. Um, and yeah. So yeah, it makes sense, cool. right? It makes sense. So, whiskey really, lovers, massive dude. whiskey lovers. Really cool stats. I love the fact that we can we can dig into that a little bit. We should probably do that a little bit more often. But listen, mate, it's it's been a blast navigating these whiskey-soaked streets with you. Um, over not over a hundred episodes we've done together, but we're not far off. But listen, the the amazing thing is that we have always managed to land influential whiskey personalities within the show. And today, to celebrate one hundred episodes that is definitely no exception to the rule today we have got a guest on the show that we've been trying to get on the show for a long time and i'm gutted about this but also really happy and i'm gutted about this because we recorded this interview yesterday with dr rachel barry and literally i woke up in the morning and there was a storm going on and as everyone who listens regularly may know i live in spaceside and as soon as i woke up i was like oh man the storm's gonna hit shit I hope the power doesn't go out, which it does now and again. Half an hour before we're about to record, what happens? Power cut. So this interview that you're going to hear from Rachel, 
there's a little bit of me in there, but it's predominantly Nicholas. I want to note that I wrote all the amazing questions for it, though. So, yeah. <laughs> we'll give you kudos there. You did write some amazing questions. But I will say this, Mitch. You were there in spirit, even though you weren't really there for, for the majority of the interview. But we did have we had one point where you think you called me on my cell phone and I put you on speaker. So we patched your questions and your chat into 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 ask Dr. Rachel Barry a few things. And then, un unfortunately, it all dropped away. But this was a brilliant interview like like Mitch said there guys this was something this was someone whom we were really excited to have on our show she's absolutely a, a female trailblazer in the whiskey business so here is our interview we hope you like it I am thrilled to introduce our special guest today Dr Rachel Barry with 30 years of experience in the whiskey industry Rachel's journey from a chemist to a master blender is a testament to her passion and expertise she began her illustrious career with the mentorship of the late legendary Dr Jim Swan and went on to work at Glenmorangie Ardbeg and Bowmore in 2017 she took on the role of master blender at Brown Foreman where she's been shaping the destiny of their distilleries including Glendronic Benry and Glenglasso, which we will dive into massive passion points for myself because I love those distilleries. Rachel, welcome to Not Another Whiskey Podcast. I can't believe it's taken us so long to get you on. Both Mitch and I are delighted, ecstatic to have you here. So thank you. No, thank you for having me. Absolutely delighted to be here and to, to speak with you guys. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. So we are massive admirers of yours. Uh, obviously, the incredible spirits that you've craft, crafted at Brown Foreman. Can you share with us what it was like uh, when you took on the role of Master Blender for these three distilleries? Did you clearly envision like what you wanted the three distilleries to taste and feel and look like? Or has it been a journey of evolution over time? Oh, it's a bit of both, of course. It's a bit of both. Um, <laughs> obviously, before I actually joined the company, part of the reason I... Uh, accepted the job was because um, I'm from the northeast of Scotland, um, born and bred beside the three distilleries, was born go. near Glendronach, oh, wonderful. Um, only a stone throw away up in Aberdeenshire and I learned to gl uh, glide a bit above Benriach when I was a teenager and I learned <laughs> to start with my dad um, on in Sandown Bay when, when I was about five years old. Wonderful. So um, it's in, it's pretty much in my blood, and I I kind of had a very strong um, understanding, I suppose, of almost the DNA of the place, the geography of the landscape, the people, the character of that part of Scotland where the distilleries are. Um, so um, that obviously has influenced me. Um, in addition, obviously, I knew that these were the finest uh, distilleries in Scotland, in my humble opinion, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> in terms of their complexity, their richness, their character, their yeah. um, distinctiveness. So um, I, you know, seized the day, carpe diem, when um, I was offered the opportunity to join these three distilleries. Yeah, that's fantastic. That is fantastic. So on that note, Rachel, like, when creating new whiskies, do you primarily follow your instincts or creativity, or you do you consider like the 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 preferences of like potential customers uh, in, in different regions worldwide? Like, how, how do you balance off your vision of like what your expectations are versus what your audience may be looking to taste? Yeah, I mean, I'm a consumer first and foremost, so let's get that straight. Um, <laughs> so you're a whiskey, so, you're a whiskey drinker with a work problem. I'm a whiskey drinker. I started as a whiskey drinker before I actually worked in whiskey. 
So even, you know, when I was at university and my dad collects whiskey and obviously coming from distilling country. And then um, I got to know a lot of the distilleries, even as a student, I used to have a miniature every every week to keep me going. That's all I could afford. Um, but um, so, yes, I'm a whiskey consumer first and foremost. And I've obviously worked with most of the distilleries in Scotland at some point. Um, you know, we now have 140 distilleries here and... Um, so, so having that kind of experience, let's say, um, kind of strongly influences me today. You know, I couldn't have said this 30 years ago. Um, I've tasted a hundred and nearly 165,000, I think 540 casks. So, wow. um, you know, when, just today? when you have... Is that, is that just this week? It's about 5,000 a year, but... Um, <laughs> That has definitely influenced me big time, you know, so I kind of know what works and doesn't work. Yep. Um, of course, I love to travel. I've just been to Australia and New Zealand um, on a tour and um, obviously been out to the US, um, around Europe, um, done events recently in the UK. Um, and, you know, I, I love meeting the consumer. So a, a big part is for me is hearing what the consumer has to say when I'm face to face in front of them, doing a tasting and seeing what people like. Um, that has a huge impact on what I take back to the distillery. Um, and I kind of interweave that with my experience and also um, getting to know, obviously, our maturing stocks very intimately. And um, I've been described as a whiskey whisperer. So I kind of listen to what's <laughs> happening with the whiskey and it kind of tells me which way to go. There you go. Nice. Nice indeed. <laughs> On that note as well, Rachel, you know, when, when you're talking about or when you're looking at the different tasks, you know, we we chat a lot on the show about the different task finishings, of course, uh, and the different types of wood that are being used in the industry right now. You know, I've seen you've been using so many different sort of varieties of oak. Uh, are there any specifics that you sort of gravitate to? And, and do you find specific types of wood work better within the distilleries than others? Um, well, I mean, you have to start with the distillery character first and foremost and, and really nurture the distillery character. So for me, that's the most important thing is bringing that unique character to life. Um, and obviously it's the wood that makes the whiskey, as we well know. Um, that nurtures and brings it to life. So with Glendronic, undoubtedly sherry casks and most importantly, Spanish oak, um, having experimented and research and working with other distilleries, obviously, um, with American oak, with Spanish oak, European oak and different sherries as well. Um, I am so committed and the company is so committed to sourcing Spanish oak sherry casks, Pedro Jimenez and Oloroso. So I think Pedro Jimenez is probably my, um, Spanish oak is probably one of my favourites um, yeah. just because it's so rich, it's so intense, it works so well with Glendronach in particular because it's got that, it's robust and full-bodied but it's also got that rich sweetness and fruitiness. Um and yeah, that's our, that is definitely one of my favourites, um, Pedro Jimenez. Um, and then for Ben Riech, um, I don't know. I love a bourbon cast for Ben Riech because it just brings out the fruit orchard. So, you know, the vanilla, the apples and pears and everything. It's actually a really simple bourbon cast as the job. Um, and then I like to finish Ben Riech in different casts, which just makes it twist and turn. 
it collides with different flavors at different points in time and really yep. get to have fun and play with lots of casts without anything particularly dominating. And then uh, with Danglasa, um, again, bourbon casks bring out the tropical fruit. So I love that. Um, sherry brings out salted caramel, so it works well. And I've also found manzanilla and pork casks to be absolutely exceptional yep. with Danglasa. So they're the ones you'll see um, in the new range of Danglasa, for example, which I've really been shaping since I started with the company in 2017. Um, leading to the rebrand. Ooh, is this, is this a sneak peek into some of the fun things that we're going to see being released? Well, Ganglasa is really, really exciting at the moment because yep. we had a a 22-year um, mothballing of the distillery yeah. between 1986 and 2008, so had a very kind of uh, polarizing um, extremes of stock profile for quite a while in that yep. it was either very young <laughs> with yep. the with the range and no no real kind of age statement but um up till 30 40 year old and yep. then the very old um so we've just been able to obviously release a 12 years old for the very first time um for Glenglassa and Sandend and Port Soy is the non-aged um very distinctive character and then we also have the gems, the treasure trove that's sitting in warehouse one of our old and rare going back to the 1960s. So yeah. um, I'm really just so excited to be now kind of releasing um, old and rare casts um, for the connoisseur to to um, adore and yeah. admire and appreciate because some of these old and rare casts are just phenomenal you know they literally are a, you know a taste of paradise uh, absolutely. it's nothing quite like them i, I agree and i say I'm, I'm very fortunate and mitch and i have spoken about this in the podcast before uh in a, in a past life prior to to working on shibui I, I i did some work with with the team uh, with billy walker and his team they were for the for the importer here in, in the united states and i managed to get my hands in the oldest green glass or cask that they had it's probably now been bottled uh, is the 55 year old that was that went into the auction but uh, I had it probably in 2015 uh, and got to taste and I still have a little bit of it Rachel so I probably this is a return to sender moment I should probably get <laughs> back in your safe hands and you can compare and contrast to to, to what it looked like uh, you know eight years ago compared to today yeah I mean we do have uh, just a handful of cast left yeah. Um, you know, from the 60s and from the 70s. Obviously, the distillers one of one um was just auctioned as part of the um worshipful company of distillers um auction in, in aid of the youth action fund here in Scotland. And it was auctioned, I think it was two weeks ago, two weeks yep. ago, I'm losing track of time, um, for £37,500. Um, so this is the most a Glenglassa has ever sold for. And wow. it was Incredible. indeed the 55 years old, and we called it the coalescence of the coast, which <laughs> gives you an idea of what Glenglassa is all about. It's all about how um, land meets sea and the flavours coalesce to give you this kind of seamless coastal elixir. And uh, and that was the distillers one of one, um, only one bottle. And um, 1963, 65, and 67 casks combined. And, and um, samples from, of course, only, um, to create this one bottle. 
only one bottle, but Mitch, if I'm not mistaken, you managed to get your hand in a cask sample of one of those three casks. Is that right? So, Rachel, don't tell Nicholas, but I'm drinking it right now. Um, oh, yeah, you're on the stairway to heaven, then. <laughs> <laughs> I, I promised, I promised Nicholas I'd save him some for when he comes over to Scotland. But yeah, you guys very kindly sent me uh, the 1965 sample, which is absolutely unbelievable. I mean. This is just so rich on the nose. You know, I'm, I'm literally nosing it right now, and I could I could nose this for hours. Uh, it's it's incredible. Those, well, those, those casks, Rachel, the three casks that you blended together. Yeah, I mean, the three casks were all kind of fascinating on their own, um, and together I kind of found what I thought was like the ultimate coastal sweet spot <laughs> if it's possible um, <laughs> in combining them um, so um, with the cask it had bourbon cask and sherry casks and a combination of um, really tropical elixir you know bourbon style along with the the more um, unctuous I suppose sherry style and and together they created this a wonderful fusion or um, integration of both dark and exotic fruits um, completely fused together along with, you know, it's like cassis and just kissed on an ocean breeze. So um, when you taste it, it's almost timeless. It, it, it um, There's no beginning or end, which is what I find fascinating about Glenglassa. It's a bit like Mitch's it's questions. Like, <laughs> there's no beginning there's no end it just keeps going <laughs> yeah I mean what do you find Mitch I mean I, I I'm again such I don't think I've ever experienced such a rich whiskey on the nose before um incredibly smooth almost velvety on the palate I mean I'm looking at the ABV on this and this is 40.1 so you guys are right on the cusp of pulling that out before it um, went illegal yeah well absolutely and of course the distillate one of one was a bit higher than that because the other two Cast for a wee bit higher. Yeah. So um, you know, that's obviously an advantage. Um, but with Glenglassa, it just it 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 starts quite tropical, even off the still. So it's yeah. quite remarkable in that way and very distinct. But it always, always um for me, it just is the the joy of the joy of whiskey is in Glenglassa because you know it's like um you're on the beach in Sanden Bay, or as I was. Um, a couple of weeks ago on Bondi Beach and on Bronte Beach in <laughs> Australia. A lucky me. And, you know, just taking in that wonderful um, breath of sea air um, with with tropical fruit, you know, dark fruits, um, you know, just it, it just is so silky and velvety smooth at the same time and just rolls endlessly on your tongue. It's almost like I've, I described Glen Glass as like rolling waves of flavor. Um, whereas Glen Donick, I would absolutely describe as an overture, you know, uh, or it, you know, it crescendos on the palate. It has a definite beginning, middle, and end, very long end. But um, Glen Glassa is just so seamlessly interwoven with all the natural elements of sea, of air, of land, that it just is just. Oh, an elixir of taste. I can't think yeah. of any other way. The All beautiful right. thing about Glenglassa <laughs> is that it 100% converts barley. So if you imagine the barley from the fields, yeah. you know, it's got a husk on the outside. It's quite dry. 
So 100% converts that barley into this lush coastal elixir, which is very, very unusual. Very unusual indeed. Yeah. Um, you know, it's never dry. Even in oak, when it's matured in, you know, intense oak for a long time, it's never dry. It's always lush. Yeah. Um, it's like the tannins cannot, you know, um, impact it. Um, it. It's much bigger than that. And, and, and much, it's so lush and so unctuous that it, it won't be... It won't be swayed by the oak. Um, Is that why it retains that kind of still? You said when it comes off the still, it's still got that kind of tropical fruit note. Is that why it retains that flavor profile over time? Even it. Well, well, interestingly, tropical fruit. You know, if you look at other distilleries, typically takes about twenty-five years to form. Yeah. So, having worked with other maritime or coastal distilleries, um, usually it takes about a quarter century. For it to be noticeable um however then glassa just it just seems to happen um so much quicker it appears so quickly and then it just amplifies over time because obviously the casts are there in the coastal warehouses breathing in the sea air and um that affects the oxidation you're going to get much more top note complexity and um you know it's ethereal it's elusive it's difficult to say that it's sea salt in particular you just know it's kind of this mentholic ethereal beautiful complexity in addition to all the other layers of flavor you find and that's very coastal absolutely awesome so i have a quick question for you so obviously with shibui you know we are we're predominantly a woman owned obviously i'm part of the ownership team with shibui uh, japanese whiskey but it's my two business partners are both uh, fantastic females in this business so we're female founded and, and one of the few uh, japanese in fact the only female founded and owned japanese whiskey company being a a, a, a a you know a prominent uh, female in the whiskey industry, you know, I'd love to hear your your perspective and you know what's your take on the whiskey industry's progress regarding inclusivity and diversity. And and on that note, I, I, I I'll follow up with you. I'd love to hear your answer first, and then 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 I'll speak to something a great conversation I had with somebody else at Brown Foreman about this. But yeah, I'd love to hear what you're. Yeah, taking. it's been. I mean, it's been a wonderful journey. I've um, worked in the industry for thirty years. I've had three sons. Interestingly. And I would say that my sons are much more progressive yep. um, and, than my husband and my, <laughs> and my father and my grandfather, and et cetera. They just, they almost don't think about gender in a way when they're working. You know, it's just everyone's, you know, just learning and great at their jobs. And there's that, there's a definite in millennials and Generation Z and everything. Yep. There's definitely less of um bias i would say yep. amongst younger groups that are, younger ages that are coming into the industry now yep. um than there used to be yep. so i think it's been a synchronicity of um great word by know, the way sorry great words yeah, by the way like it's, it's been synchronicity absolutely <laughs> yeah. i mean obviously i was in quite early and everyone has their challenges um but nowadays it's just it could be my age but it just seems a lot more it seems a lot more progressive um in diversity and inclusion it's something which i don't think i just don't think there's a bias that there used to be not as yeah. much it's still there but i don't think it's as much as it used to be 
So, and I'll tell you, this is a true story. So I was out in, um, I was out in Kentucky not that long ago and actually was in a bar and, and just got chatting away to somebody that happened to work at Brown Foreman. As you do, when you're in Kentucky, you can throw a stone, you're going to hit someone that works in the whiskey industry. And and this girl worked um, for Brown Foreman and, and the way that she phrased it, which I thought was really, really a great testament to the team at Brown Foreman was they don't just pay at lip service. And I like we were chatting. I was with my partner Lauren and, and my business partner Lauren, and she was asking this other kind of female in the business, you know, what what are, what are these guys like? And and chatting away about Brown Foreman as a business, and she went, they don't pay at lip service. They actively go out and make meaningful decisions about how they can be more inclusive, not just about females in the industry, but about you know other other kind of people who are gender fluid, people who are you know people who have got different sexual orientations, people who have different color, race, race, color, and creed, that it was like all gloves are off. We just, they, 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 it felt like a very inclusive style of business. Is, is yeah. you know, Obviously you've worked for different businesses and every yes. business I think in the Scotch whiskey industry is trying to do better. Uh, do you find it that, that, that specifically where you are now has done a good job of that? This is the best that I've ever experienced. Um, I mean, in the US, they're way, they're just way ahead in terms of diversity and inclusion anyway. And, you know, we are, <laughs> we are very, very fortunate. Well, we, we see, we see that is. now. Brown uh, Foreman is. 50% of the country is. Brown <laughs> Foreman is way ahead, I suppose. That's I what I'm trying to say. And it's a US company. Yep. Um, and the rest of the world, um, you know, because there's people working for Brown Foreman on the production or in the distribution side all over the world. And it's really heartening that whenever I go in the world on my travels, you know, it's same values, you know, yeah. it's valuing people. We spend a lot of time looking at, you know, what are your core values and, you know, what makes you, you, and, you know, being able to converse with people who are um, at face value, maybe quite, you know, quite different from you, but to learn and be curious and to enrich your life really through connecting with, diversity you know really opens your mind when you look at it from that perspective and working for a business who encourages you to to learn from diversity because it, it's such a it's such an enriching thing um you know you're absolutely in the best place and you know the values are obviously respect that's huge yeah. huge having respect for each other you know, listening to each other, giving each other time, no matter where you are in the organization, you know, whether you're a cleaner or you're the CEO, you know, have respect for each other, um, have integrity for everything you do, trust each other, really important, teamwork, critical. And through all of that, you create excellence. So they're, they're the key values. And I think through those values and focusing on those behaviors and the how, rather than the what, um, it just makes coming to work so much more joyous and enjoy yeah, so much more enjoyable um for everyone, I think. That's it's a great wonderful. place to work. Yeah, that that that's wonderful, wonderful to hear. And 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 a testament, I think, you know, to where the direction of this industry is moving, but also to the fact that it takes those leaders, it takes those companies to step up and actively make those choices to do so. Uh, you know, something that you said earlier is that you, there's an older demographic that is me, you know, like like your your dad or whatever that might be kind of 
old school, but it's, it's not a hall pass, right? You know, like I think, you know, we've we've spoken about this before, you know, we can all learn no matter how old we are. And and I think that, you know, th this younger generation of, of, you know, you've got three sons, which is which is fantastic. And obviously you're shaping their hearts and minds to be respectful of 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 that inclusivity and diversity within this industry. And that'll make a difference, you know, I think as as we as we progress forward, we'll start to see just just being better and like you said, being more respectful yeah. of, of it's more fun as well then. 100%. You know, because everyone can bring their whole selves to work then and have no fear. You know, for me, being part of a fearless organization is is such a huge thing. You know, when I started out, I probably had to, I mean, I I I did have a bit of fear. I was bold anyway. I felt the fear <laughs> and I did it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as many yeah. people do. Um, but, you know, I think now it, it just is, or I just feel, you know, it's much more of a fearless organization. People can speak up, they can be hard, you know, and how many more ideas, innovations you're going to get and connecting with the consumer as well you're going to get through that way of being. Yeah. Yep. I, I love that. I love that attitude. In fact, one of the things I often say to people is you could fill a library with the things that we're, that are different about everybody. But the one thing that we, we have in common is we like whiskey. So let's absolutely. That's oh like, my isn't that a great starting point? It's <laughs> amazing. It's amazing. And, you know, I was um, just in Australia, in Sydney, um, yep. a couple of weeks ago, and um, I was amazed. The whiskey club in Australia has 38,000 members, right? That's and insane. to show you how advanced Australia is, 40% <laughs> of the whiskey drinkers in Australia are now female. That's so that was something I'd learned I never knew. You learn so much when That's you, brilliant. you go around the world and you, um, you uh, and, and there's more female owners as well now, of course. And, and indeed, more startups, smaller distilleries, and yep. we're open to having having uh, more diverse. That's brilliant. So we've lost Mitch. Mitch has dropped off the map. The storms in the north of Scotland have managed to not just crush his Wi-Fi, but also crush his, his cell phone. I'm hoping that's what's happened, and he's not just, I don't know, falling off a cliff somewhere. But uh, he's he Both has not. gone. He's gone from the call. <laughs> but we shall we shall. We shall muster on. Actually, speaking of worldwide, uh, we we went out to kind of all our listeners to to kind of ask what questions I had, li linking up with them on on all all these things like um, Instagram and whatnot. So I'd love to ask you on behalf of some of our listeners. Here's some of the questions they had. So at the whiskey, she uh, asked this: Would you ever accept offer of being involved in a startup distillery? If so. What would that distillery look like? Equipment process, geographical situation, and what still would be the goal? Oh my Ooh, goodness. That's, that's a, a really that's a great question. question. It's a it's a great question, but obviously I'm getting on a bit. Ah, nonsense. <laughs> um, having been doing this for nearly 32 years. Wow. Um, and I must admit that one of the favorite parts of my job is working with all ages. So I would find it very difficult to let that go. Yep. So, um, you know, I work with from zero spirit off the still, obviously, right up to your 1960s whiskeys. So yeah. I think working for a startup would be fun, um, but I just would find it very difficult to let go of the maturing whiskeys that are even older than I am. You know, yeah, yeah. there's something <laughs> that is wonderful about having a very diverse 
stock profile of a variety of ages from spirit of still right to the 1960s to work with. I mean, you know, that for me is the holy grail of being a master blender. Um, be fun working for a new distillery, but um, as I say, yeah, I'd find that a bit difficult to let go of. All right, here's another. So one. I'm sorry, I can't go into more depth. No, that's like um, that's, that's, that's I think that's a great answer. Like having the <laughs> flexibility to be able to go through a spectrum of age statement, uh, from from super old to super young. You know, but, and also I'm not getting any younger. So you know, for me, the holy grail. I mean, you know, Mitch shared that he just tasted a 50-year-old whiskey. If you go and start working for a startup, you're not going to be able to work with 50-year-old whiskey for, well, well, after I've left this planet. Rachel, no (laughs) no matter where Mitch ends up working, he's always going to grift his way into somebody sending him some 50-year-old whiskey. He manages to have his finger in the pulse of whatever's free. (laughs) Somebody will ship him something. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. here's a little more serious question. So this this is something that Mitch sent through. So Graham Drams asked, this is a pretty heavy one here. So he's read all the articles and comments online regarding removing the non-chill filtered labelling and understands that the reason for removing it uh, because of the processes didn't comply with NCFSWA regs after they joined. So is there currently any change in the processes? Uh, or, There's been no change. Like- so um, the there isn't actually a regulation. So first okay. and foremost... Good to, good to know. Let's, let's correct There is that. no definition for non-chill filter. There is no legal definition okay. so that is really important to know mm-hmm. so that particular description you could say is a marketing terminology yep it is something um which is used without i don't know without having that much um specifics around it um and it really opens a bit of a can of worms i would say <laughs> All right. Because um, some in the industry think that if you if you if you filter it four to six degrees Celsius, you can't call that you don't call that chilled. But there's no definition. So how do, how do you know? So it really is a quagmire of perception. So nothing has changed for Glendronic. So with uh, the drinker, if they have a bottle of Glendronic twelve or fifteen or eighteen. If they add a few drops of water to it, it's still going to go cloudy. Yep. Um, so it's, it's you know, for me, it's the most gentle filtration that will keep the um, the voluptuousness, the rich richness it's of the sherry cask. Yep. So that's what I, my goal is. And it's a bit of a marketing spin on chill filtration. I mean, natural color, I think, is a different thing because natural cask in part color is um you know it's it's more clearly defined yeah um so, by you know you, you haven't added yeah, any caramel exactly that o- on that note is that something that you're passionate about with with caramel coloring i'm very passionate about having worked with some organizations that have used i'm not going to say who yep. that have used um just totally swamped their whiskey with caramel coloring um i I, when i came to work with brown foreman i was like oh this is heaven for me because there's no legacy there was no legacy of caramel coloring so what that meant was i could start developing the portfolios with a legacy of 
it, it, all three distilleries talking about natural cask imparted colouring, having never add caramel and there was no way in hell I was going to add caramel yeah so um I feel really strongly about it because I think caramel flattens whiskey yep um it's obviously burnt sugar and it's really bitter it's really so it's not <laughs> sweet at all um so it increases the bitterness it loses the complexity um and yeah it's not yeah I I, I think it makes my job really hard yeah, I'm sure you're aware of that because every yeah. single cast looks a bit different. Yeah. So I've got the challenge, and that's why we sample about five thousand casts a year, of um, as well as sensorial differences, looking at the wavelength differences, the color differences, so that when we ha- do a vatting, we're going to make that um, that natural cast imparted color as consistent uh, as we can. Hundred percent, and that and that's it. Like as consistent as you can. Like so, for me, I so with Shibui as well, we are natural color. Um, and it's it's my it's, it was drummed into me when I worked at uh, McAllen and I got to spend some time in, in McAllen Edrington Group's portfolio, the 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 joy of natural color, and being able to speak about natural color, like it, it's um, not all whiskey should look like a mahogany table, and we've we've mm-hmm. managed to drum this into the consumer that oh everything's dark and looks like dark and rich. I'm like. Some some whiskies are fantastic that are light and bright, and you should enjoy those flavors and those colors on the spectrum that they they, they come from. And you know, for me, uh, choosing a Pantone of a color chart and using caramel coloring to darken something, it, it, it just it feels it feels like a misrepresentation of what your what your the ability of either the casks or the distillery or the blender is capable of doing. Whereas well, natural color. With natural color, you, you it it brings it brings you to being like the the quality of your wood and the quality of your master blender it gets to showcase and 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 not that it doesn't mean that everything's going to look dark because your blender is 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 better, but everything should look the way it should look because the blender isn't mm. tied to well to exactly. I mean, the the extreme is obviously blended scotch, where you could have refill casts, for example, that look like water. Yeah. And then you could say it could be looking like water, like clear virtually. Yeah. And then before you know, it, it looks like mahogany. You know, you 100%. could do that and be allowed to do that. And yeah. that would be my worst nightmare. I couldn't <laughs> work with a whiskey that did that. <laughs> uh, you know, and it's just, oh, goodness me. It, it, it's, oh, I can't, I can't, I'm not going to comment anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so, one other question we got. So, Rurich, Rurich, Rurich whiskey, I'm, I'm, I'm probably butchering that, but I'm going to guess with Rurich whiskey. Ask, and I've been. Mitch has told me I need to ask this in the Doctor Bill accent. So, what was it like working with Doctor Bill, and what was the favorite expression that you created across your career? Uh, so that's that. <laughs> what was what uh, was it like? Oh, that's an Bill? interesting one. Yeah. That's an interesting one. I mean, you know, I, I had a great relationship with Bill before we yep. got divorced. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he never writes he never calls he's not seen the kids in weeks <laughs> no i mean obviously i worked with them for 17 years so yeah. that's what i meant <laughs> yeah, yeah of course. Um, so it was a bit like a divorce when i left glenmorangie because my heart and soul had gone into that place for 17 years um but no it was great it was great i mean you know he's a wonderful guy to work with very clever and you know we got on extremely well and, and worked together really well um but yeah my, my favorite uh whiskey from that time um was definitely signet because that's uh, that was my baby 
Yep. Um, so um, from that particular part of my career. Yep. Um, however, you know, since then, it's just got better and better and better. <laughs> so that was probably my my uh, favorite to date. Guy. When I was working there. And then Wonderful. since then, I've got, I've got, they're all my favorites since then. On that um, note. I- on that note, so as I so we're, we're, I was about to bounce into the quick fire round, and on that note, the first question in the quick fire round is: With your brown form and hat off, what whiskey are you drinking? Uh, you drink what whiskey am I drinking? Yeah, if it's not a brown form and brand, so it's not, what a, it's you... not a brown form. That's unfair. Um, <laughs> that's not fair. You can't ask that question. Um, I mean, anyone, anyone, I can uh experiment with so you know i've just come back from australia with a whole load of samples so i'm appreciating those obviously when i'm um doing whiskey judging that's probably my favorite thing because i get to taste lots of new whiskies so i'm not going to single out one i'm just going to say experiencing all world whiskies oh good basically as many as possible you can never taste enough whiskey Rachel, this sounds like a Mitch answer where you're about to ask me for a bottle of Shibui to come over your way because Mitch is always thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I knew it was coming. (laughs) Okay, you could swap careers for a day with someone completely unrelated to the whiskey world. Who would you be and why? Swap careers. Oh, my gosh. You weren't a whiskey master blender. I wasn't a master blender. I don't know. Probably in the world of... Even fashion, I, I I've always won, wanted to be. Ooh. I mean, I suppose a master blender, a bit of a designer. So yeah, it'd have yeah. I'd have to be a designer, creative, um, and yeah, either fashion or interior designer. If you're going to host a dinner party and you can invite three famous people or just three people, living or not, who would they be, and what dish would you cook to impress them? Probably Audrey Hepburn. Oh, there you go. I'm in. <laughs> yeah, I just love everything about her. Her philanthropy, her intelligence, her way of being, the way yep. she looks, everything. Everything Talk about, about style. Her. Talking about style, right? right. Is it, do, do you have any quirky talents or strange hobbies that we do not know of that you want to share with Oh my with God, the world? you probably know everything about me. I don't have any quirky, strange habits. Um... What hobbies? Uh, I like to dabble in hobbies. I wouldn't say I, I like variety, as you can imagine. Yep. <laughs> so um, I like to do things well, but nowadays I like to just dabble and, you know, I'm quite fanciful. It just depends what takes my interest at that particular moment in time. But um, I enjoy um, vintage motorbikes with my husband. So that's something we have in common. That's cool. And so you maybe weren't aware of that. I wasn't. Um, no, do you do you ride across Scotland with those then, or is it? Is uh, it yeah, what, what, regularity what? runs, and I think I'm going to do the North Coast 500 next year. Awesome. Um, what do you ride? We show we show the bikes as well. So the ride back to 1911, 1911 Triumph, TT nice. Royal Hemfields. There you um, go. BSAs, BMWs, etc. What else? I, I do like to cook, and so it's another hobby, um, and a little bit of aromatherapy as well. Very so nice. I like the. Obviously, I'm always interested in smells and scents. So, yeah. um, aromatherapy 
more than perfumery is actually something I really enjoy because getting to know the physiological effects yeah. of certain aromas yeah. and how uh, interweaves with your, you know, your limbic system and your feelings, your thoughts, your emotions, and how it influences your way of being, I find really um, interesting. And obviously I apply some of that in my day to day. Rachel, well, when you get to the States, if you're in the Northeast, I would love to, to grab a whiskey with you. Thank you so much for coming on Not Another Whiskey Podcast. People that want to kind of creep out and follow you on Instagram, where can they find you? Oh, they can find <laughs> me as RB for Rachel Barry. So yeah. RB Whiskey Maker. I'm on Twitter as well as the Lady Blender. And okay. then, of course, you know, visit, you know, I'd, I encourage people to visit the websites for the distilleries as well. Yep. Uh, uh, Glendronach.com, uh, Benrieff.com, yep. and... Um, glasser.com and uh, come and visit the distilleries too well i have to say rachel thank you so much for coming on the show it's been i can't believe it's taken us this long to get you on uh, and i'm delighted that i got to do this o almost solo which is great obviously mitch sadly dropped off the call based on weather and conditions and he's probably still using aol dial-up to get on wherever he's wherever he's <laughs> living but i thoroughly appreciate your time i know how busy you are and it's been a joy to have you on, on the show thank you so much for joining us Thank you and and happy is is this not your hundredth episode? It is our hundredth episode, yes. Oh, happy hundredth ep episode celebrations! Thank you so much, Mitch and I'm I. Going I are going to, to, we're get going a to... dram now and 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 toast you. Great interview, mate. Nice, uh, nice little taking over there of the the interview. I, I, you did you did well by yourself. You did well solo for your first solo interview. That's no, it. But, no, it was great to hear her chat, man. And and you know, just incredible whiskies. Um, like I say, you do have a little bit of an incentive now to come over and, and have a little taste of this sixty five, um, which I still oh. have a bit left. Look, I still haven't drunk it all, so hundred percent. Had a little sip yesterday, um, but no, Rachel, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really do appreciate it. I've met Rachel, I think once or twice before, but that was the first time we really got to kind of spend some time with her and she's a fantastically she's a fantastically funny and uh, really sharp person and uh, that's in their personality it just is exudes from from that and i hope that was i think that's definitely picked up in the interview so before we sign off mitch though i thought we, we had a few people slide into dms with messages about our 100th show so we thought we'd maybe run and play a few of those for people to hear what, what others had to say about us yeah mate we did so uh this this first one is from uh from the guy that we chat about a lot on the show this is what daz had to say how are you doing, you rascals? Congratulations on your 100th episode of Not Another Whiskey Podcast. Here's to the next 100, and I'm sure I'll be on every now and then just to make sure you boys are doing it properly. All the best. Slangevar. Cheers. Uh, the next one is from Big Struan, who is uh, the Glenfiddich Global Ambassador. Not Another Whiskey Podcast, which is ironically exactly what I say every time you release a new episode. But congratulations on 100, what a milestone, considering it reached its peak around episode 9 when Daz forgot which podcast he was on. Uh, no, it's a great success, really enjoy listening to it. Uh, it most resembles my dad and his drunk friends arguing in the pub, but do you know what, you've made a success out of it. Fair play, and in all honesty, it's, uh, it's really testament to some hard work and some great content. So all the best, 100 more. And then big fan of the show, Brendan McCarran. Congratulations, not another whiskey podcast on 100 episodes. A one and two zeros. Kind of like how you could describe the three people who do the podcast, actually. A one and two zeros. I'll let you fight out over who the one is. 
but congratulations again. All right, man. Well, been a pleasure to do episode 100 with you, Nicholas. And thank you for all those to, to, to who have been listening. Hopefully we're going to do another 100 more. I mean, who knows where the show is going to go uh, from, he, from here on in, you know? I would record 100 shows and I would record 100 more. Just oh, to be that hey. man that would record 200 shows to fall down at your door. <laughs> Please don't ever do that joke again. I won't. Sorry about that. All right. And on that note, we finished the 100th episode. Thank you for listening, guys. See you next time. Bye.